This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Plenty to get to today. Phil Miller will join me in just a little bit to talk Twins, talk Twins-Yankees, talk about optimism and pessimism, and specifically talk about Josh Donaldson versus Garrett Cole, the subplot within what otherwise would be kind of a not-as-interesting Twins-Yankees series, but those guys probably going to... Pl- face each other on Wednesday, not long after Josh Donaldson called out Garrett Cole for cheating, more or less, so using substances on the ball, at least wondering out loud if he was. So uh, Phil and I will talk a little bit about that uh, in a little bit, and I'll get into that in a little bit more detail after that. But first, what did I miss? Brooklyn Nets, huge blowout win over Milwaukee Bucks in Game 2 of their playoff series on Monday night. Bucks had looked superhuman in uh, in knocking off the Heat uh, very quickly in their playoff series, four-game sweep. The Nets, however, on another level right now. And I just want to use that as a springboard for a little NBA discussion, a little NBA history lesson, and also a look at the Timberwolves as they are currently constructed. The Nets won 125-86 to on Monday night, and they did not have James Harden in that game. He was hurt, hamstring tightness. So they have... They win by 39 points over a very good team while they're missing ostensibly one of the greatest players of all time. How do they do that? They have a big three. And when you have a big three and one of them goes out, you still have the requisite NBA big two. That's what you really need on the court if you are going to succeed. Kevin Durant playing at a MVP level again, even after all those injuries. Kyrie Irving playing at a very high level as well. Nets have really good role players as well. Supporting cast um, has been talked about plenty. A lot added in uh, you know buyout markets and such. But the big two remaining after after one injury, and that's a, that's a big deal because again a big three is kind of a luxury to have all of them on the court at once. You can kind of spread them out bench wise. You can play two at the same time all the time. But if one of them gets hurt, you're still okay. You're still okay because kind of back in the day, the big two was the big deal in the NBA, right? You had Shaq and Kobe. Before that, you had M, you know Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Those guys were extremely durable, Pippen and Jordan in particular. So, you know, having a big two was enough for those Bulls teams to win six championships. However, if you only have a quote-unquote big two and one of them gets hurt or God forbid if both of them get hurt, you are in trouble. And we saw that this year with the Lakers. Regular season, LeBron and Anthony Davis hurt at various times, sometimes at the same time. Lakers looked very, very ordinary. Get to the playoffs, Lakers are actually kind of getting back into business, both of them back at full health. I think they took a 2-1 series lead over Phoenix, and then Davis gets hurt, and it's it just goes all completely sideways for the Lakers. LeBron can't carry the team like he used to. He's still probably got a little bit of an ankle problem. Suns end up pretty easily kind of cruising through those last few games, win that series four games to two, and then they take the first one over the Nuggets again uh, on on Monday night. But uh, so the, I guess the bigger point here is you want, if you have that big three, it's a luxury because you can then go back to the big two. And that's, that's why I want to talk about the Timberwolves for just a minute because they're trying to construct that big three right now. You can see it with Towns and Russell was going to be the kind of original big two. Then they drafted Edwards, hoping he can be part of that big three. I feel like Edwards maybe has supplanted Russell in that pecking order a little bit. Chris Hine and I talked about that a couple weeks ago when I had him on the show. Having all three of those guys at the same time 
is a luxury. It will be a luxury going forward. Having at least two of them when they are fully formed on the court at the same time will be probably enough in a lot of instances. So if if the Wolves, if D'Angelo Russell is what the Wolves think he is and can be that kind of player, that serves them well going forward because not only do they have a big three, quote-unquote, going into next season, they have the ability to withstand some of these injuries and other things that inevitably happen in the NBA that other teams won't be able to withstand if they don't have that. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Happy to have Phil Miller on today. Phil, of course, covers the Twins, has documented a great deal of what's gone on this season. Not most, not much of it pleasant, but uh, happy to have him on the show because he always delivers a lot of good information. Phil Miller, how are you today? Uh, doing great, uh, Mike. Uh, an actual day off in the uh, in the 162-game extravaganza. Yes, we're talking on a Monday, getting ready for the Yankees series on uh, on Tuesday. 24 and 35, Phil, not, uh, not great. Um, you know, I think you can look out over the last two or three weeks and see that the, the wins and losses have been a little bit better, although the competition has not, uh, has not been great either. Um, let, let's start with the idea of kind of where they are, where this team is big picture, because I, I think you can give me a little bit of an injury update, but also, you know, even if they are able to get some of these kind of cornerstone guys back, where, where are, where is this organization or where, where is the, as you think about how this team thinks of itself, where, where do you think they are right now in terms of optimism, pessimism, that, that sort of thing? I would say that my opinion uh, turned this last week uh, in Baltimore. Uh, they, uh, I, I was one who was uh, thinking, be patient, that uh that there are signs, good signs, that they're coming around. Um, and uh, Baltimore changed my thinking. They did not play well in Baltimore. They did not look like a, uh, uh, a, a contender in hiding. Uh, I think this is, this is who they are. The rotation is in pieces. The uh, bullpen has yet to uh, have a prolonged stretch of effectiveness. Uh, the lineup is piecemeal. Um, uh, just some bizarre seasons and, you know, some of their biggest weapons, uh, particularly Byron Buxton uh, and Louis Arise are still out. Uh, I've been preaching patience and saying that, that, uh, that it was just a slow start and that uh, they could pull things together. I, I guess personally, I no longer think they can. Uh, they went seven and six against the Royals and the Orioles. If they're not making up ground there, here come the Yankees and Astros this week. Uh, I, it's hard to see how quickly they're going to make up any ground there. It's 12 games, less than four months to go now. It's kind of a big ask. It, it, it certainly is. I mean, and, and there's nothing that they've necessarily done on the field that makes you think, okay, they're, they're ready to turn that corner. Now, the only thing that could potentially change your mind, you know, is if they get some of these guys that have been out for a while, healthy and you you alluded to byron buxton he's still foremost far and away their their leader in war even though he's been out for a, a long stretch here just kind of showing how little else they've had going particularly at the plate and even in the field but also you know um how good he was when he was healthy he, he kind of leads 
a, a list of players that I'm curious about in terms of where they might be at. What do we, what do we think we know about timetables for Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, you know, Kenta Maeda guys that they were counting on to be, you know, lineup mainstays rotation, top of the top of the rotation guys um, that have been out for a while here. Well, that part is good. Uh, that part's good news. Uh, Byron Buxton's uh, uh, last remaining hurdle was uh, he was still feeling it, uh, feeling a little pain in his, uh, not even pain from what I'm told, in, uh, in his hip when he was slowing down, decelerating, turning corners suddenly. But that was, a, that was four days ago, four or five days ago. So uh, um, I would suspect that we're going to see Byron Buxton in St. Paul um, certainly this week, I think, and, and maybe at the beginning of this week, um, uh, Rob Ref Snyder, I can't believe that, uh, we're talking of him about as one of the mainstays, but Rob Ref Snyder uh, should be back from the uh, concussion list, uh, for the Yankees series. Um, Max Kepler, uh, hamstrings are trickier, but I've heard that he's feeling better. Uh, we might see him in a rehab stint at least. By later in the week um so we're talking about the team leaves on a road trip uh that starts a week from monday they might be a lot closer to uh full um closer to their uh, ideal lineup now we're not going to see mitch garver probably for uh, a month or two but um and uh, louis arise is still a couple of weeks away i doubt that we see him on the road trip so that's a lot of guys uh, to work back in and uh, hope they can start producing right away. And Maeda, you think he might make a, a rehab start at some point here as he kind of, it was, it was the, it was the it was lower body first, but then it became an arm thing too. It was, uh, and it, it continues to be the arm thing. I think the arm thing is what they're most worried about, but the arm thing is uh, at least, publicly is not anything specific. They have said that they've not found any structural problems. It is uh, just that uh, sometimes he gets a sore arm, which, uh, okay, that seems alarming, but uh, um, also uh, uh, treatable with rest, uh, so they think. I, I suspect that uh, he will be in St. Paul for at least one start, um, perhaps two, and, uh, and that'll take place this week as well. The Yankees series coming up, I mean, this was, you know, in a if this year had gone kind of according to plan, probably for both teams, actually, because the Yankees are no, uh, are not having the greatest year either. And they've had their own injury problems, but we'd be talking about, you know, Hey, this is a, a, a prove it series uh, against the Yankees. That certainly doesn't have that feel to it, but there is some intrigue in this series. Nonetheless, um, one of those subplots uh, something we talked about before we started recording, Josh Donaldson likely to, bat against Garrett Cole on, on Wednesday, as long as, you know, both of those guys managed to stay healthy until Wednesday. Um, what, uh, explain to the listener what the subplot is there aside from just, you know, good hitter against good pitcher. Well, uh, Josh Donaldson has effectively, uh, accused Garrett Cole pretty openly of cheating, uh, as being one of the main, uh, um, guys who have gained an advantage through using uh, foreign substances on the ball to get a better grip and to uh, increase the spin rate that, that makes his uh, pitches break so effectively. Uh, Donaldson is a, is more outspoken than most as a veteran and uh, as a uh, someone who takes the science of hitting very, 
very seriously. He is uh, very aware of the numbers of, uh, of how spin rate is uh, increasing and how that is making uh, baseballs break more and make them harder to hit. And it is uh, largely to hear Josh tell it, and there's obviously some truth to it, uh, due to uh, pitchers applying uh, substances, uh, tacky substances, sticky, sticky substances to the ball. Uh, and he specifically uh, cited uh, Garrett Cole as somebody who's uh, who went to Houston, where uh, this is all where you know the rules are uh, somewhat more pliable uh, down there is the reputation. And he went to Houston. He uh, learned how to throw uh, with a much greater spin, much greater break on the ball. He got a contract worth more than two hundred million dollars from the Yankees. And uh, one interpretation of Josh's uh, uh, complaints, I guess, is that uh, it's largely due to uh, factors that uh, should not be part of the game. So he has named my name and they face each other for the first time since then on, uh, on Wednesday. I will be very interested in, in those at-bats. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, you know, now Donaldson had tweeted about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, saying, hey, I've got a whole catalog of video. It's coming out. This is kind of an exchange he had with Dallas Braden, if I'm not mistaken. And then that mm -hmm. he didn't talk about it right away, but then did do a session on this fairly recently. Right. It was kind of when things yeah, it was died in, down uh, a little bit. Was, yeah, it was in Kansas City uh, over the weekend. Uh, Friday, I guess uh, he opened up about uh, um the list he's been keeping, the numbers he's been watching, the uh, the uh, the evidence uh, that he thinks is pretty ironclad uh, that uh, that the significant drop in offense of the past couple of years uh, is in no small part due to pitchers uh, using uh, better and better substances. You know, the same technology that allows Donaldson to gather evidence of this is, of course, the same technology that allowed pitchers to see the effectiveness that they could gain by uh, uh, using this stuff. And uh, while it has always kind of been uh, an open secret in baseball, uh, his contention is it is now much more widespread and the substances they are using are much more effective and uh, illegal. And he, so is this kind of unusual, right? For, you know, in, within the kind of sanctuary of, you know, players, you don't usually get player calling out player like this. Is, you, no. is it in your estimation, is this a little bit of a rarity that makes this extra kind of interesting as we think about this matchup? There, yeah, there's a, there's definitely a, uh, um, an ethic within the, the game of not criticizing uh, other players, uh, you know, we're all going through the same things. It's a difficult sport and it's difficult for all of us. But uh, Donaldson, uh, you know, an exception was made to that when it was revealed that the Astros were uh, using electronics to to uh, and garbage cans to uh, convey signs. And uh, you started to see some criticism after that. And uh, and players do uh, clearly are. Josh Donaldson is clearly offended by uh, by this whole notion uh, of of using something that uh, that gives them an unfair advantage. Uh, not many veterans feel like they have the um, I don't know the 
the status in the game, maybe, uh, to uh, speak up about it. But uh, as a former MVP, he does. And, uh, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that baseball has so publicly said they're cracking down on this. And, uh, right. and Josh is kind of chiming in on this. I don't think baseball is handling it particularly well, uh, allowing this to become uh, a player against player uh, um, situation where there are actual accusations out there. But it is... Uh, you know, it's something that baseball is aware of and is has they've announced their intention of changing it, whether or not they actually will accomplish that. Um, we'll be interested to see. A couple of competitors, uh, no doubt. I mean, if I remember the game was at 2020 where Donaldson didn't like a call, hit a home run, <laughs> and brushed the brushed the plate with dirt. I mean, you can you can imagine there's a potential not that this is going to happen. There's a potential for some some drama in those at bats if they do come to do come to pass on, on Wednesday. So I'll be a, it's a fun little, uh, fun little subplot. I'm glad you, uh, glad you reminded me of, uh, of that one. Oh. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, there was no uh, real fallout that I'm aware of for Donaldson for uh, criticizing the umpires uh, last week. And remember he talked about how uh, most of them just want to hurry this up and go home. Uh, uh, so uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe he feels emboldened, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, his numbers are down and I don't think, I, I think it's pretty obvious that he doesn't feel like he has uh, changed significantly. You know, uh, he's 35. So maybe there is some signs of decline, but uh, I think he not only feels emboldened, but he feels like he is being personally cheated by uh, relief pitchers. And, you know, he talked about all the unknown guys you've never heard of who come up and suddenly have curveballs that fall off the table. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's personally affected by it. So uh, it's, it's very important to him. And hitting numbers are down across the board this year. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 50 year lows for batting averages, which, you know, obviously means that pitching numbers are, are up. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what uh, what Major League Baseball does to that. Pitching numbers not up for the Twins. And that's one thing I wanted to bring up with you is that, you know, we, we've talked about the injuries, but one thing I went through and even kind of mentioned on a show a few episodes ago was, by and large, even though they've had, you know, Kenta Maeda hurt lately and they had to push back Pineda, they've, pitching hasn't really been where they've had the bulk of their injury problem, which makes which makes the, the pitching performance this year even, even more disappointing. How, how would you kind of assess that notion? Basically, they've had their, their preferred starters have made almost all the starts this year with the exception of you know, a handful that Dobnik and Lewis Thorpe had to make, but they've had Pineda, they've had Maeda for quite a few starts, they had Barrios for all of his regular turns, Hap, um, you know, Shoemaker, they've been healthy. They just haven't been all that good. Same with the bullpen with, you know, Robles has been healthy. Colome has been healthy. Duffy's been largely healthy. So is Rogers. I mean, if you're talking about their main guys, they've largely been healthy. They've just underperformed as a group. Yeah, that is disappointing. And they have kind of reverted to the old twins uh, that don't strike out as many uh, batters as other teams do. Uh, part of that they knew going in, uh, but they figured they had beefed up the defense to, uh, to uh, handle all the extra balls in play, and that has not worked out well. But in general, the pitching has, uh, yeah, has been a large disappointment, uh, and their pitching staff really does stand out in that way, that they don't have many guys that can make up uh, for, um, for 
in effectiveness for control problems just by rearing back and striking out extra guys. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, we're halfway through the season, or well, a third of the way uh, through the season, and I think we're uh, we can say that they've miscalculated on a couple of guys. Uh, you know, Alexander Colomay is the big one. They gave him a rather large contract for a relief pitcher and, and handed him the ninth inning, and and it has been a disaster. From well, not day one. I think he no, it was day, day one. one. It was actually day what? one. Yeah, he well, blew, okay. <laughs> he blew was, that uh, game in game one. They came back and actually were five right. and two despite that. But yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I'm kind of a believer that uh, there is something to um, uh, in a very small effect that there that momentum uh, sometime can uh, afflict a team, and I think the the shock of blowing all those games early uh did affect this team and uh maybe uh alexander colomay uh but that has been a bust you know uh uh hansel robles has been placed in a situation that i don't think they envisioned him to be a ninth inning guy they brought him in to kind of be the seventh inning guy uh behind duffy and and uh, rogers and colomay and you know he's ended up with some ninth inning jobs and uh he has a pension for digging himself a hole, sometimes digging out of it, but uh, these uh, leadoff doubles are, are just killing you. Um, and yeah, the, and I think they've miscalculated on the uh, long-term effectiveness of uh, some of their selections, their low budget selections over the winter in, in Jay Happ and uh, Matt Shoemaker, who, both have had good games. Both have had their moments. But overall, you've got to say, well, I'd rather have Rich Hill. I'd rather have Jake Odorizzi. Uh, you wouldn't maybe this year because uh, Jake is hurt. But uh, um, the pitching staff is not as good as it was last year. Uh, they had hoped that uh, Maeda had established a new level for himself. That has not actually happened. Uh, he's not. He has not been bad, but he has not been Cy Young caliber like he was last year, uh, and Jose Barrios is is who he is. Uh, good, not great. A uh, a solid number two or three, depending on the day. Um, but uh, it's overall the optimism that they had in spring training, and they were very optimistic in spring training, has completely dissipated. In spring training, they were convinced that Hap was going to round into a top of the rotation guy. If you remember, Kent Ameda gave up one run yeah. all spring training. Uh, he looked untouchable. Barreos, every year we talk about how maybe this is the year. Um, even even uh, Shoemaker Pineda was uh, himself, uh, and uh, Shoemaker was, was showing uh, positive signs. I think they came into spring training as optimistic as they've been in the last three or four years and have had the worst results. Um, far and away uh, different from what they expected. Last thought. Um, if you're a Twins fan, you, you still probably cling to memories of 2006 when it was exactly this point in the season where they went from you know 25 and 33 and then played the rest of the year at 71 and 33. I don't see that kind of takeoff uh, on the horizon, but maybe you know, you know, I, I did write about this a little bit Monday. Like if, if it is going to happen, it's got to start now. Otherwise it's going to turn into a trade deadline where they're going to trade a lot of these guys away. Is, is there anything that you see that you can say, okay, if this starts going, if, is there any 
turn where you could see, okay, this thing is starting to go in the, in the right direction, or is this, have we seen enough of a sample to say, even if we've seen it once, even if they took a, you know, seemingly going nowhere team and, and suddenly turned it around, um, it, it ain't happening again. It, it's hard to say that it, it seems so strange to say it happened to this team once before 15 years ago. So maybe it could happen again. I mean, uh, maybe it can. Uh, I'm not really, uh, I, I, I sure don't see many signs of that. Byron Buxton coming back will undoubtedly help the team a lot, especially if he is anywhere close to what he was in April. Maybe you build some momentum off that, but uh I, I, that doesn't address the pitching. That doesn't right. address the bullpen is a nightly, uh, nightly problem. Uh, sometimes they, uh, they come through and are effective, but there is no, it's hard to feel any faith in it. Uh, you certainly don't feel any among uh, twins fandom. I, I, you know, one other thing that this has done is it's created um some difficult decisions ahead when Byron Buxton and Max Kepler come back. Well, they've got Trevor Larnock and Alex Kirilov in the outfield. Now they seem somewhat committed to developing them. They seem like they are already established major leaguers. Now they've got to figure out, do they just banish them to triple a? Um, do they try to work them in? It's a good, that's a good problem to have, but I don't see that as, is uh, writing that to uh, sudden relevancy. I, I just, to me, the bullpen has not been solved. And that is, uh, that is the big thing that stands out, but um, that, you know, they still have so many uh, holes in the lineup too. I'm trying to racking my brain for a reason for optimism here and maybe losing, uh, seeing them lose two out of three in Baltimore just uh, took that out of me. But uh I do not think that this is a team that turns it around anymore. And I have to admit, I was as optimistic about the season for them coming out of spring training as they were. I, I totally bought it. Yeah, I did too. It seemed like it was headed in the right direction. All evidence pointed that way. It just kind of goes to show baseball is all sports, you know, kind of little things, big things. They, they can, they can all add up and, uh, and here we go at 24 and 35. Well, Phil Miller, great stuff as usual. Glad to talk to you today on Daily Delivery. And we will uh, follow Phil's work, of course, Star Tribune, startribune.com. Phil, let's do this again soon, okay? Okay, Mike. Good talking to you. Good stuff as always from Phil Miller. And I want to put uh, Aaron Boone, Yankees manager, in the – I want to give him a spin rating of his own. We started this feature a couple weeks ago. Haven't done it every day, obviously, but uh, I want to give – I give various athletes or coaches a spin rating based on the quote they have. And this is actually a quote about spin rate, um, which, you know, the, the, the revolutions per minute on a ball that's kind of at the, at the center of this controversy over pitchers using foreign substances to increase, increase, increase the spin rate, which gives them more velocity, nastier breaking pitches, and, and stuff like that, which is what Josh Donaldson more or less is accusing Garrett Cole and other pitchers of doing. Aaron Boone, manager of the Yankees, was asked about this the other day. He said, I don't make much of it. Garrett, as well as our staff, are mostly above board, and they'll be able to handle the situation in the right kind of way, and it's not going to affect the types of pitchers they are. Mostly above board. Wow, that's a, that is a nice way of uh, not completely throwing your pitcher under the bus while also acknowledging that uh, you're not 
uh, that that you know your staff isn't entirely clean. So I'm going to give I'm going to give Aaron Boone a spin rating of about 7.5 out of 10 on that one. That's that was a that was some pretty good spin from uh, from Aaron Boone on that one. And, and again, I'm really interested to see how this matchup goes Wednesday, assuming Donaldson's in the lineup, assuming Cole makes his start. Um, because I can imagine it going a lot of different ways. I can imagine Cole getting high and tight on him. I can imagine Donaldson, you know, engaging in some showmanship if he hits one a long way. Uh, it, it's an ass. It's an absolutely fascinating subplot in the series that otherwise doesn't have the same kind of drama that it normally would. Let's end with the cooler, sad news out of the NFL. Jim Fossil, former head coach of the Giants, dies at age 71. He died of a heart attack, according to reporting from the Los Angeles Times, age 71. Fossil, of course, um, remembered around here as the head coach of the Giants in the late 90s and early 2000s, including the architect of the team that beat the Vikings 41 donut in the NFC title game after the 2000 season. So sad news out of the NFL for sure, and condolences to the Fossil family. That'll do it for today. Got some good stuff coming up later this week, including what I hope is an excellent interview with Baseball Hall of Famer Rod Carew. So look forward to that. Thanks for listening today. Please download this podcast, write a review if you would. Always read Star Tribune, startribune.com, and subscribe to that as well. And we'll be back at it again on Wednesday.